Welcome back to Kwekoko, my name is Bele Moso and I'm your host. Today's episode doesn't have a specific topic, so it's pretty much me just venting. Last week there was a situation in my family that I'm not too happy about and um, still doesn't sit right with me. And that's the real reason why I brought season 2 back a little bit early. Um, I wanted to talk about that situation, but while I was recording, I was just a bit too emotional and it was a bit too fresh for me to um, get my point across um, effectively. So um, I just recorded that intro that you guys may or may not have heard. Um, So in short, I called out a very problematic Samoan influencer for doing something I thought was homophobic and traumatic to his child. Um, The influencer has since talked about the video, um, not very nicely though. Um, I think he called us Muppets, but whatever. Um, He said he was yelling at his son because they'd been practicing how to box and that was what um, that video was about. Um, I must clarify though, I don't follow this man. I happened upon the video on Twitter where it was making its rounds um, and the child was visibly scared. One of my friends texted me to tell me, um, I think it was a couple of days after my post, to tell me that, ooh, my phone, <laughs> to tell me that I'd, um, he's on live at the moment talking about my post. So I jumped on, um, not using my account obviously, using my sister's, and while I was watching his piss poor excuses, I noticed a family member, an in-law of mine, applauding him in the comments. At first I did find it funny, hurtful, but funny, and so what better for him to air that out but our sibling group chat. Um, I had no intentions of making it a big deal, but the more I sat with it, the more hurt I became. I get along with this person, we've never had any major issues, so it was kind of a shock to me. Of course I knew that there was um, a family connection there with this person, but I didn't know it was that close. But in saying that, I wouldn't personally applaud a problematic family member publicly or privately um, for that matter. Hey, that's just <laughs> that's just me. So in the group chat, I'd made a comment to the effect of not the smiling in my face, but supporting a homophobe, which is something I would say. And I was being shady, but it was also the truth. I'm scarred from many supposed friendships where I found out online my so-called friends were against marriage equality. It was the topic of the year 2017 and I remember one friend who I'd known since I moved to Australia 15 years ago changing her profile photo frame on Facebook to vote no. That was devastating for me. I talked about boys, sex, relationships and other things you talk to your girlfriends about not knowing she was actually homophobic. And maybe homophobic is the wrong term for this particular situation, but let me know on Instagram or or on social media what the correct term is. But I don't know if she'd always felt this way or if her opinion changed because I did know that that year she'd been baptized again and if it was um, her church that was behind this. Um, but in saying that, she is her own person and that is that was her opinion and um since that time i've deleted this person from my life and all social media i've never had a conversation with them about it i just that year was a really hard year for for not only myself but a lot of people in the community because 
people like it was on one hand it was good that people were finally talking about it um being a thing becoming legal but on the other hand it was so intrusive and just felt like why do you get to decide what I do with my life obviously I'm one that doesn't talk about marriage um I don't see it for myself I don't know why that's obvious maybe it's obvious because I've spoken about it before but anyways it's not something that I am personally going to do but why should you get to talk about it have an opinion on it and vote on what we get to do with our lives so that was the place that i was coming from when i was in the group chat um and so i have four brothers and a sister and on the same group chat i'm always the one going there and a conversation could be light and airy and i could just come in there and make it so serious um but in the same breath please don't try me because i'm not the one i could argue with you and i could be wrong and then I could acknowledge that I was wrong, but I could also tell you where you went wrong. And I will never go below the belt because the receipts are always there and ready for me to use. Yeah, that's that. The other thing that I am is tired. I've had to explain stuff over and over again, especially in this group chat. Like, it's never come out of them just wanting to know things about me or about the community. It's always after some sort of conflict. And no one willingly asks me if they could be better allies to me. No one cares about the hopeful little comments they make that is a little homophobic. And I really don't want to put my family business out there, especially my siblings, but or when I've been successful in an argument, which is pretty much always, I've had a family member respond by calling me a faggot and other gay slurs. And no, this wasn't when we were kids. This was last year. Sometimes I think our family members think that because we weren't exiled when we came out, that that is enough support. And for some, it might be. For me though, I know I deserve better. I know this episode may come off like I'm tooting my own horn, but in all seriousness, I know I deserve better than to be tolerated. You can't know me, like me, and not one to protect me at all costs and i'm being serious i'll give you the world we've spoken about this on this podcast where a lot of queer folk go and look elsewhere for family when the one that they're tied to by blood aren't accepting of them and then there are those that are tolerated like me i could easily walk i could choose to not support this family and again i don't want this to come off like i'm so into myself and that my family wouldn't survive without me of course they'd survive they just wouldn't thrive a lot of what i do and what other whatfafinga do is based on the concept of tautua or service and a lot of us do it quietly no matter how disrespected our families make us feel um can i also point out that a lot of the things that i might be saying might be just an eldest child thing um or firstborn thing however you want to call it but yeah let me know we're told that we're the ones that will nurse our parents in their old age and a lot of us i know i have have bought into that there's actually nothing wrong with that at all. It's actually a beautiful thing to be able to do that. What I have the issue with is how it's set up. So because the family accepts you, not your sexuality, of course, 
but because you haven't been kicked out and you've chosen to stay, there's an assumption that you don't aspire to have the same things that your cis-hetero siblings want. And those are things like marriage and a family of your own. I know I'm generalizing and I can only speak on my experience and those that I've spoken to, but this is the reality of our situation. I know as our parents get older, they do soften and they're not as hard on us about things. Um, or another example is when you have kids and your parents are easier on them and let them get away with what they wouldn't let you get away with when you were younger. Even going as far as to lecturing you about not disciplining your kids. Yeah, as I was saying, our parents do soften and one of my cousins actually pointed out to me that no parent actually wants their child to be alone and my parents have said things that make me think that they'd be okay with me having a partner um, they didn't explicitly say but they've implied so my situation is definitely not as hard as a lot of queer Samoans and I always acknowledge that I always say that I'm so lucky to have my parents and for them to be okay but sometimes that's not enough Going back to what I was saying about how my family could survive my departure, but because they have me, they don't have to worry about a lot of things. My siblings that are married or in relationships don't need to worry about them because I'm home. I make enough money to take care of my parents who both work full time as they're both quite young, but they get to spend their money on things that they want to and don't worry about a single bill. The married siblings in my family can go on with their lives and know that the only time my parents reach out for money is for falavalave and not because they need help, but that's just culturally how it works. But I say all that to say that my gay ass walked so they could run. <laughs> Sorry for going off topic, but... Um, I think the point I'm trying to make is that not kicking us out is not being supportive. You love us, of course. I don't question that at all. But in the same way you have certain standards or things that you believe you deserve, we do too. I'm lucky that I do have people in my corner who are supportive and that do ask me what I need and how they could better love me. So not all is lost. Just don't find out what you could have done better for me when it's too late. Conversations on mental health are important and I love that I'm seeing it everywhere, but they do need to be inclusive of our queer folk and women. The influencer I talked about, the influencer I talked about earlier talked about mental health a few months ago and got so much praise. Despite having said some misogynistic shit about boys dying because of girls. His supporters were agreeing with him or they were saying we were missing the point completely and to focus on the message and not his mistake because he was visibly upset. But say a woman or queer person does the same thing, makes their point very clear, doesn't stutter, the same praise is not given. That's because as a society we praise certain members for doing the bare minimum. Example? Praising a father because he too changes the baby's nappy. Why wouldn't he? That's his baby too. The other thing I wanted to touch on is just because you accept your gay brother doesn't make you exempt from being homophobic. Much like having black friends doesn't make you anti-racist. 
It means that your work begins at home to provide a safe place for the queer people in your life, but extending that into the world. Speak up when people say offensive shit about gay people and trans people. Not just because you're related to someone or that you're friends with someone who happens to identify that way, but just do it because it's the right thing to do. We're sick of being the exception to your so-called values. You're not a martyr for loving us. You know deep down that you have no reason to hate someone based on their sexuality. You know. It's no skin off your nose. As Whoopi Goldberg once said, if you don't agree with gay marriage, don't have a gay wedding. That was really all I had to say today. What are your thoughts on what I spoke about? Can you relate? What's your situation like with your family? Let me know on social media, so Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. My handle is QueerCoco across all of those platforms. But for now, stay safe. Bye! Just kidding. So I'm featuring my interview with Chenille that I did for Pacific Wave Radio last week on this episode, so enjoy! Okay, so welcome back, guys. So we have a very special guest today, and I'm so excited to introduce you to them. Um, we have the activist and the co-founder of In Conversion Therapy New Zealand. It's none other than Chanel. <laughs> welcome to the show. Ta-da. Thank you for having me. I can't believe you made time for us. Like, I feel special. <laughs> I mean, I was really excited when you asked me i was like yes i'll do it yeah you've been one of our dream guests for a while now so are you able to tell us a bit about yourself where you come from and how you identify if you don't mind yeah absolutely um so i was born into a indo-fijian and itoke family so i share dual ancestry my father's side of the family is itoke and my mother's side of the family are descendants of the indian slaves that came to fiji so i'm just kind of a mix of the two look more like one side of my family yeah. so yeah growing up in growing up in that kind of family I always kind of had to juggle my identity yeah. and I think that I kind of learned about the Itoke side of my family the more I gravitated towards my queer identity. So my great-grandmother, she's been she's been one of the integral people in me exploring my Indigenous identity and not mutually exclusive, my queer identity. Yeah, so my... My, how I identify my gender pronouns are uh, they, them, but for a very long time I just said he, him because it was just so much easier and you would never have to explain anything. Yeah. I've noticed that you've had to, like with your activism and stuff that you share on social media, there is a lot of people questioning your identity and like how do you even deal with that? It's, um, you know, it's, it's so, so common for me that at some stage you just become numb and yeah. it's, that's, that's probably not the right way to deal with it, but you just if you're exposed to some sort of thing for a very, very long period of time and it's mm. consistent and it's so common, you become numb to it and then you just stop responding to it. Yeah. However, I think that if people are trolling you and if they do want to troll you, they won't stop. Yeah. And so I think as long as you know that your co-papa, your work is driven by the cause, you'll be fine. Yeah. So I no longer 
am affected by emails and messages that I receive saying, oh, you're not Itauke or you're not yeah. indigenous because I know I am and I yeah. really, come see about me, I'm doing fine. Yeah, ooh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I know how I first discovered you and it was just like over a year ago, there was like a video that you posted, um, but I'll let you explain a little bit about that video and what you spoke about there. I immigrated to New Zealand in 2014 and in 2013 New Zealand had made same-sex marriage legal or a possibility let's say because it wasn't really illegal it just wasn't possible yeah. and in 1986 they made homosexuality legal so it was a crime before that so when I moved to New Zealand I moved into a space of privilege and I was very much aware of that because I came from Fiji where they don't even treat you like humans so I was like, okay, this is going to be, I'm just going to be really comfortable in this country. But suddenly I realized that conversion therapy was legal in New Zealand. And this one time I was volunteering at Middlemore Hospital. So I was working at the reception and this guy came up to me and he was a church leader and he said, do you want to pray? And I was like, no, not really. <laughs> I have work to do. And he said, edit of summer. And he said, um, it's hot, but do you know what's hotter? hell and that's because i refused to have him pray for me and and since then i was like uh-uh i've just got to work towards ending this this mindset or just not allowing people to practice their bigotry and having it excused as their religious right so i went to youth parliament and i spoke about banning conversion therapy now conversion therapy is any practice that aims to change an lgbtqia plus orientation to cisgender and heterosexual how did you even discover that because a lot of us i grew up in new zealand i didn't even know that well a lot of people think that this is like a countryside American conservative thing to do like yeah. and a lot of people have this really distorted idea that somebody's like trapping someone up and beating them but it's become even more people have turned more towards uh, psychoanalysis so it's sitting down with people and then basically telling them that actually your sexuality and your gender can be changed so the way that it looks has changed a lot over time um, how did I find out? How did I find out about New Zealand? Um, there were suddenly people just coming out and speaking out about it. And I said, you know what? I have similar experiences and this is happening in New Zealand. And then a report came out called the Counting Ourselves Report. And that showed that one in six trans and non-binary people have experienced conversion therapy by medical professionals in New Zealand. And I was like, this is so common. This is so common, medical professionals are doing it. So I can only imagine how exaggerated or how much bigger the numbers are in religious communities where this practice actually stems from. In regards to the attention that you've gained over this past year, because I think it was like last July that you posted the video that I saw, has that kind of helped you get a seat at tables that you wouldn't normally um, be sitting at? No, not at all. I've been denied even more seats. Yeah. So before that, people weren't aware of my stance and what I stand for. The, and I wasn't so radical and outspoken. So I was someone that could be molded and I could easily get into spaces because I was able to give them, give them what they wanted. I was mm -hmm. 
playing the game without actually realizing that I was playing the game. Yeah. But now people are aware of who I am and what I stand for, and they can easily search up the things that I've done because if you Google it, tons of NZ Herald articles will come up. So people are aware of what I do and people are hesitant to let me on board to something. In fact, recently I got an email from, um, <laughs> won't tell you the name of the place because they might sue me for defamation or <laughs> So I received an email and it said, oh, we looked at the diversity criteria and you just didn't make it. And so I looked at the list of people who actually made it and a majority of them are just cisgendered gay white men. And I was like, well, did I, was I really not diverse enough? So it's just mm. that people look at my political stance and they know not to let me in because I would not agree with them or I would challenge them far too much for their liking. Yeah, absolutely. But I will say that it's definitely helped me get my voice out there more than before. Yeah. I've noticed that the media outlets that you have been doing the rounds at, they've been mainly like Pacifica, would you say? Not entirely. Um, I am very outcasted from Pacific everything. Yes. So I think I've only done one interview with the Tangata Pacifica. Yeah. I've done one interview with them. And I think that's because they wanted to do an interview. They wanted to publish something about pride. So they said, oh, here's our token gay. So <laughs> <laughs> but I've mostly been outcasted by Pacific media. Um, they just don't seem to be interested. One, I don't think they consider me to be a Pacific person because of my dual ancestry. Two, I think they are still not at the place where they can openly talk about queer people in the Pacific community as well. It's really sad because I know that we as queer people, we're really creative and we're, we're responsible for a lot of what we see on TV, but we're usually yeah. relegated to behind the scenes because people don't deem us worthy as being in for being in front of the camera. That is so sad to me. They hate us because they can be us. <laughs> I think it's. I definitely think it's that. <laughs> oh Lord, I'm just. <laughs> but back to your point. I think you're right in saying um, you're dual ancestry does work against you in that way as well but you're welcome on our show anytime we are very <laughs> <show. laughs> I was thinking um about how we as queer people we're always made to kind of educate other people on our issues and things that are important to us and um I think it's getting to a point where it's annoying. So you mentioned your pronouns earlier, and I don't think a lot of people listening understand that concept. Can you explain the difference between gender identity and your sexual orientation? I think people always get sex and gender mixed up, whereas sex is a objectively measurable thing, so such as hormones and sex organs, etc. And people exist as male, female, and there are a number of intersex characteristics. Those are your biological characteristics. Gender identity is womanness and manness. And sometimes you're either or neither or both. So the difference here is that this is where your gender pronouns come into play and it's more so related with the role that you play in society. So people who are born male at birth 
and identifies men as cisgendered men. And people who were born male at birth but identifies women are known as trans women. Although these labels aren't very helpful, they help us conceptualize this idea. Um, so in terms of gender, people always think that there's woman and man and those are always male and female, but that's not true. There are people who do not sit on the spectrum or people that sit towards one side or the other or people who fluctuate between the thing and that's fine. A lot of the time these things can get confusing for people but honestly it doesn't have to make sense for other people if it makes sense for you and I think if someone really wants to support you their job is not to try to support you only if they understand their job is just to be there for you yeah. and hope they will understand. Yeah. I think that is the most frustrating thing is when people are like, I just don't get it. Like, it's, yeah, it's not, not really for you, for you to get, to get. Just, like, just do it. <laughs> you can't get it. Everything happens for a reason. Yeah. And that reason is colonization. Homophobia did not exist in indigenous communities in the Pacific Islands prior to colonization because we can see around the Pacific Islands there are queer identities so Fafafine, Fakaleiti, Vakasalewalewa in New Zealand we have the Takatapui uh, in Australia I believe they have the Sister Girl so everyone's got, every indigenous community has got some sort of queer identity and they were integral to the community's survival in fact it was believed that those people had some kind of gift from the gods and suddenly when uh, colonization happened, the hierarchical male-female order got imposed onto us. And over a period of time that has been uh, conditioned into the minds of our people. And now suddenly we do not share a relationship with the indigenous gods and have a relationship with the white god that has been promised to people in the Bible. And these people who do that tend to be self-righteous or holier than thou they be acting all like oh i didn't have sex before marriage or i don't wear clothes made out of two different fabrics or i don't eat like the insects of the sea when they do all of those things but suddenly when it's about homosexuality they be acting they be acting like they holy as hell the girl <laughs> we all know we all know you've been practicing on us when you're in high school don't even be <laughs> acting like that to me what are some things that um, non-queer Pacifica people do that they don't think is um, homophobic, but um, that they don't even notice they're doing? It's you? just my belief. It's just my belief. This is how I think. Girl, I don't think uh, your beliefs are more important than my life, but go off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of the times people need to realize that what they believe, they can believe, and they just, just yeah. I don't need to hear it. Yeah. I think people are so comfortable with the idea of denying people, queer people, their livelihoods. Mm -hmm. that they are they're comfortable with making us uncomfortable, making us unsafe. Uh, they are okay with us not having happy, successful lives. Mm -hmm. And that, that really irks me because uh, when, did, when did these people decide that we were less than them? Yeah. So it's, it's always that... A lot of the, a lot of Pacific people try to pass their homophobia by saying that it's just my belief, or they just it's 
honestly, I can't even put it into words how ridiculous it is because this is the group of people that you expect to do well because they know what it feels like to be oppressed. I mean, these people are groups of people that are aware of the systematic oppressions that exist against people of color and indigenous people. And they are the same people who say that we want to decolonize the world. But girl, don't talk to me about indigenous people with the mouth of the colonizer. If you ain't going to accept queer people, I don't care if you're indigenous, you still have the colonizer mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I was going to say, how do you deal with the the homophobia that you face online every day? And have you ever felt unsafe to post something? Let me share this. I've uh, in the past received uh, lots of death threats and lots of people saying that they will do things to me and I've reported them and I've been told we can't do anything unless something happens to you or unless you're touched. And so I know the state is not going to protect me for many of the things that I face. So a lot of the times I am forced to compromise my freedom and the things that I'm able to do because of how homophobic New Zealand actually is. So actually it has, homophobia has some practical implications on my life. I think a lot of people believe that because they said something to me on the internet or because they're homophobic, I can go on with on with my life without, without carrying that with me. But when my safety is literally not, I'm not ensured my safety, I'm 100% of the time thinking about, oh, what if something happens? Mm-hmm. Because in the past I have been, for example, in school bullied because of my identity. So yeah, I mean, it's it's one thing to tell queer people to, oh, just delete the command, block the accounts, don't worry about it, they don't matter. But it's another thing to actually realize we receive an elevated amount of hate. For one, because we're queer, and two, because we are people of color. And that is like publicly too. How do you, do you deal with it Um, within your own family yeah but i don't think it's to the same extent it's Mm -hmm. an unspoken thing it's more so i think with the internet it is because people say too much yeah and i think with my family is because people don't say enough we don't talk about it enough or we Mm -hmm. haven't actually done that healing yeah. So there's that underlying, you can always see it, you can always feel it, yeah. but no one's actually going to explicitly say it. Yeah. But you just kind of hope that someone will and then you could just end it for them. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can totally relate to that as well. Like I came out um, when I was like 20, um, only because my dad asked me. And um, since that time, we didn't really talk about it at all. Like, um, And I'm 30 this year, and this year we um, actually spoke about it. And it was just, it was a big fight over something else unrelated, but it came out. And um, I think a lot of us have to go through that. And I'm constantly trying to educate my brothers and my sister on everything. And um, there was another fight recently about that, just because um, people don't really listen to you when you're trying to tell them how to support you, because they deem not kicking you out of the family home as support enough i think that people look at activists and think that they've got everything sorted out yeah but we haven't Mm -hmm. like i still don't have a coping mechanism for homophobia in my household and that's something that you 
because I don't know, I haven't had that much time to learn it. So maybe I learned with time, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I think that exploring your identity can be really, really difficult when your options are limited. When you like, for example, can't be around queer people or can't have queer people in your space at your home. Yeah. So that just limits how many friends you can have, who you can talk to, how you express yourself. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you're living in a homophobic house, you're probably not allowed to be feminine if you're a man. Mm -hmm. So those are things that people need to take into consideration that we don't actually grow up living as our true selves. We just yeah. kind of try to do our best to conform and assimilate into the heteronormative way of things so we're not bullied and beaten and ridiculed. Yeah. And yeah, it's such an issue later on in life, like that I'm still trying to unlearn things because I've been told that um, I'm not even comfortable in my own femininity and I'm very feminine when I am comfortable with who is around me. And um, so when I'm hyper aware of who is and it's predominantly male Samoan men, I just, it's like I shut down. But yeah, what advice do you have for youth that are struggling um, with their identity, um, especially with the intersectionality of being people of colour and being queer? I think we need to, <laughs> we need to give less advice, <laughs> less yeah. advice to queer people of colour because why are they facing these issues because of the oppressors in their life. If yeah those people didn't exist in their life, if homophobic racist people didn't exist in the life of queer people of colour, then mm -hmm. we'd be thriving. Yeah. I think that more action needs to come from the people that want to be our allies that belong to the group of the oppressor. So for example, activism it isn't just like sharing a post on Instagram. And activism and allyship isn't necessarily making a donation, it's actually a fall from grace. So having to give up your privileges and a lot of people aren't willing to do that a lot of people will say you know what i i put up posters in my workplace but are you going to give up that promotion so the other underpaid person of color can get paid a fair living wage are you willing to do that mm -hmm. so there's a big role for allies to play in this but for people of color queer people of color young queer people of color i think that and a lot of the times these things have to happen like behind closed doors because they happened for me behind closed doors was like going to a pride event doing it <laughs> like i'm not i'm not for like i'm not saying that we need to have like some sneaky kids running away from my home for pride events but this is how i did it yeah i mean i would go to pride events and no one would know and it's like oh it's a work meeting <laughs> yeah and that's kind of i where i met more people and then when whenever you're in a space that is safe you can speak about issues and build relationships but it can be difficult so i think it's always about taking it one step at a time mm. like first of all are you are you comfortable with your identity if you can be comfortable with your identity then you can start to kind of explore because if you have like internalized homophobia and internalized transphobia and you're not willing to just accept yourself, then I don't think other people will. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm actually so honoured that you said yes. Thank you. Thank you for having me.